Brucey, fantastic to see you. I know it's been such a difficult time for A-League clubs and everybody involved at the moment across Australian football. But firstly, tell us how you're holding up and, and what's going on at the club at the moment. Yeah, holding up as, as best as can be expected. Um, difficult uh, period, that's for sure. Uh, certainly a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty um, flying about. Um, you know, players are very anxious. Uh, football staff are, are equally as anxious. Um, we had had some good news in the last few weeks. That is that, you know, Fox Sports does want us to finish the season and, and you know, they're modelling how that's going to that, that's gonna look. Um, everyone's keen to, to, to complete the season and, and do that to the best of our ability. Um, and I'm hoping by the time, you know, if it is August, by the time that comes around, there will be much clearer, um, you know, information and, and path into what the following season and seasons look like for, for the A-League. I think that's been the big sort of topic of conversation now is when we can expect football to resume. I mean, we've seen the NRL and AFL start to make inroads on when their leagues are going to resume, but we haven't heard as much from the A-League. I mean, there have been a couple of rumours that potentially August, but have you had much dialogue with FFA and how much exactly do you know about what we can expect? Not me personally, no. Um, I haven't had any. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the, the CEOs have, have calls uh, uh, quite regularly. Nathan Cosmina keeps me informed on, on what the latest happenings are. Obviously, I've got my own networks around, you know, FFA, um, you know, uh, other A-League clubs, uh, players, PFA and, and, and other stakeholders. And, and I, I managed to garner bit of information if I, if, if I need to. But um, look, I think, you know, now there's a bit more certainty. Um, it helps, but there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge before we get up and running. You know, the AFL and NRL, you know, extremely proactive, um, had pay deals with their players, for example, um, very quickly off the back of COVID-19. Uh, my understanding is those discussions have started between the, the, the FFA and, and the PFA. I think that's very important. Uh, I can't imagine any player coming back to train on JobKeeper, for example. So even before that August start date, there's so many things that, that need to be ironed out. Um, when I think about you know contracts that run out 31 May, but you want to finish the season in August, you know, are those contracts being extended? Is that going to be across the board? Is it going to be an optional opt-in, opt-out, you know, Sydney FC got so many players already uh, signed for next season. Melbourne Victory have so few. Um, so all those sort of um, intricacies, uh, I'd hope, I don't know, but I'd, I'd hope that those discussions have been ongoing for some time and, and it won't take too long to, to finish off. Um, and if not, those discussions have definitely already started. Um, but the sooner everyone can find some certainty in, you know, financially, especially in this, this time, what that's going to look like for the players, for the clubs, you know, unable to sell memberships probably for the foreseeable future, unable to have fans attend games. You know, there's a massive financial impact on, on the organisations as well. So now we're looking for a new coach. Um, it'd be good to get a budget for, for what that, that position will, will have. But... It, without knowing the broader financials of the competition, you can see how many hurdles there are in, in any sort of forward planning.
I want to pick up on that point you made about looking for a new coach and the departure of Gertian Verbeek. Uh, to be honest, I was caught a little bit by surprise. I sort of didn't expect it. Um, but given that there is so much uncertainty as a result of the pandemic, uh, you know, you can't really prepare for anything at this point, Brucey. But what happened there? Can you give us some insight into how that went down? Yeah, um, you know, he sent a resignation letter um, and basically said... Uh, with so much uncertainty, the, the financial uh, complications that, that he can foresee. At the time, you know, there had been no announcement about completing the season or anything like that as well. So he felt that, first of all, he felt important for him to return to Holland. Um, that, that was the first sort of decision he made, obviously with family, young family, daughter, and two, three years old. Um, it was important for him to go back. And then with the continued uncertainty for such a long period of time, compounded by the stand downs without pay, compounded by the fact that, you know, the club would be financially uh, significantly wounded going forward. Um, he felt, you know, he had discussion with the chairman. So the chairman's appointed him. Um, if I backtrack a bit here, the chairman's appointed him. Um, you know, they've, come to an agreement they've done the contract he was appointed before <laughs> I was appointed so um, I know Gurchan and, and Pete Vanderpoel had had a lot of discussions prior to Gurchan going back to Holland um, Pete obviously explained to him the difficult financial situation of the club um, and putting all that together coronavirus uncertainty future financial difficulties he felt that, you know, it's just, it's, it, there's just too many unknowns. You know, I'm stood down without pay. That's something that he really struggled to wrap his head around. It's, 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 I don't say it's completely unique, but it is one of the more unique uh, laws in, in you know, the Fair Work Act here in Australia. Um, a lot of other countries around the world don't have it. Um, so for Gurchan, it was, well, you can't do that. It's impossible. So, well, it's not. It's actually completely lawful. And... You know, organisations are doing it, you know, the, all around the country. Um, you know, he wasn't too pleased about that. So I think, you know, it wasn't any particular thing, but this plus this plus this plus this, you know, he just felt, let's just let's, let's just stop now. Um, the relationship's still good. I still speak to him quite regularly. We've have, we have coaches calls every week um, with all the coaches and, and support staff. Um, he's still been on those. Um, so the relationship's still good, um, not just with myself, but, but with all his staff. He, he really enjoyed um, working with them, really loved uh, Adelaide and Australia. So he was very disappointed about it. But the circumstances we're in at the moment, you know, he felt that was the right call. We had a story up on our website a few days ago uh, where you were quoted as saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, that you're effectively now looking for an Australian coach and your phone has been ringing off the hook with agents and people looking to land the job because it's such a club. It's, it's the kind of club that has such great and proud history um, and anyone effectively would be lucky to go there. But you're looking for someone that has a connection to Adelaide uh, that you'd love to see kind of carry out the traditions and, and what it means to be the coach of Adelaide United in that position. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, where you're at? I mean, I know it's obviously something where there's so much uncertainty, you're not even thinking about who you're going to put in the role, but has your mind started to wander? Look, the, the, the way I've gone about it and, and we've gone about it, I don't do things myself, you know, the CEO, Nathan Cosmina, is, um, 
very uh, helpful and very collaborative sort of leader. Um, we work really closely together. Um, you know, the other senior managers as well have had a little bit of input here and there. So, you know, the, the way we went about it is first we want to build a criteria, right? And not just build it in my brain, but actually articulate it and write it down. Um, we've done that. Um, then it's about building the process um, around that. Um, and we've got to stress test it. And that's what we're doing now. So, you know, um, we've, got a, we've got an HR specialist psychologist coming in to, to tomorrow um, to, to discuss, uh, you know, the best sort of ways to find, you know, those people that really interview really well but have a lot of skeletons in their closets, you know, they're, they're, they're really good at hiding things because they present themselves really well. Like, how do we ask the relevant questions to extract any sort of uh, uh, weaknesses or, or um, things that we don't like in, in a, any potential candidate? Um, we know what we want. How do we get the answers that we need to be able to make the best sort of decision? So you know, someone's going to help us with, with that. Um, that's tomorrow. Uh, we've got some past players coming in um, to critique what we've put together. I think that's important. Um, you know, call them an external panel, if you like. Those, those. So we've got three former players, um, as, well as, uh, as well as the HR uh, psychologist specialist. Um, so um, I think by the end of this week, we'll have what I believe will be a really robust way because of, of choosing the, the next Adelaide United head coach. Cause we've got a, um, we, we've, we've got really wide networks when it comes to Australian coaches. We want an Australian coach. It doesn't necessarily have to be South Australian. There's Australian coaches all around the world as well as in Australia. And, and that's essentially who we're targeting. Um, and, you know, throughout the criteria, I can tell you that there's, there's, there's different points for, for different things, you know, um, understanding, you know, uh, uh, South Australian uh, grassroots and NPL clubs, that, that gets you very minor, but it, it does get you some points. But so does A-League experience, that, uh, that gets you points as well. So there's, because what I'm conscious of and what I really don't want is any unconscious bias coming into our decision-making process, right? I can almost guarantee you 99% of, you know, the, the last few candidates will be people I know personally. Nathan knows personally. Nathan's dad, John Cosmina, might know personally. You know, you know I'm assuming he speaks to his son relatively often. Um, you know, people are going to know these guys at a different way or personally, or they coached someone before, or they coached one of my ex teammates or so then you can get unconscious biases around like, you know, he's a really good guy. Like that, that's the guy, you know, but that's, that's not what we're about. That's not how we want to make the decision. We want to make a decision in a sort of more of a mechanical way so that if the decision ends up being a poor one, because you never know what happens in football, you can then peel it back and say, okay, where did it go wrong? So the next time we make a better, more appropriate decision, you know, the decision uh, is a good one and, and ends up being, being a successful coach. You can go back and say, okay, that was good. We can tweak this to, to improve it. And then the day I leave Adelaide United, 
the next football director can come in and and it's got a template to work off. You know, there might be some tweaks and changes that, that they have to make, but it's there, it's written down, the process is there, um, and that's just about improving the club uh, as a whole. Why is it important for you to get an Aussie coach in the role? Because, I mean, the club have had a good mixture of Aussies and foreigners, but now having come yeah. up a foreigner, why is it important for you to move forward with an Aussie coach at the helm? Look, I think the foreign coaches we've had here are fantastic. Some of the best coaches I had in my whole life uh, while I was a player here were, were foreign coaches. You know, um, we've had good Australian coaches as well. Uh, not many of them, but but we've had some good ones, right? Um, but I just felt that now the club, and Michael Petrillo, uh, to his credit, did this, right? And accommodated in us winning everything. Um, and that was to build a long-term vision for the football program. That's when Giuseppe Gombao comes in. Because I remember speaking to him at the time and he's like, you know what, we, we, we change depending on who the coach is. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember Giuseppe and, and Michael Petrillo both saying that if we take our jerseys off and play with no shirts, we want people to say, oh, yeah, that's Adelaide United, we can tell. You know, and that's how, that's how we know that, that We've successfully, successfully built a, a, a football model, program, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, um, that's for the longer term. Now, I think the difficulty this club has had has been the constant changeover of ownership because when ownership continues to be changing, then it's very hard for the me- mechanics of the organisation in terms of operational staff. You know, if, if the owner's the boss, the, if, if the owner wants to go a different path, then no football director, CEO or, or someone else can tell them no. <laughs> so, look, my dealing through the chairman through this uncertain time is that they're in for the long haul, they're going to hang around, you know, they're going to stick it out and all the rest. And that's given me the confidence to say, okay, well, let's actually invest and, and work towards a longer-term football approach, going back to what Michael Petrillo did. Because as a player at that time, that was a really successful period for us and a really enjoyable period for us and everyone knew where the club was going. I think we need to get back to that because, you know, you get, you get Kurtz, then you get uh, Gurchan, two very good coaches who both won silverware, right? Um, so they were good coaches, but then you look further down, you know, a lot of feedback when I came here was overwhelmingly that Kurtz didn't cast his eye over the youth team at all. Right, so that's fine. The A-League team can be one kick away from the grand final, but what does that look like in three or four years? You know, so we're trying to we're trying to uh, do both. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that regard. You know, we don't even have a football academy. You know, so um, there's still a lot of work to do, but we can only do the best we ha- we can with the resources we're allocated. And I think by taking this approach on, on a new coach is, is a good start. It's crazy to me that Kurtz didn't even consider or take a glance at the youth team. Um, you know, and that's, I think, some of the worries that people have with foreigners coming in is that it's not really in their DNA to consider what's going on in the youth and to bring them up. There's so much pressure now in a coaching environment mm. where you think it's not just about play the kids, it's about actually winning. Because if I don't win enough games, I'm going to be given the ass, and I'm out looking for a job. You know, who cares if I played a bunch of 16-year-old kids? They're not going to win me a title. And that's the tricky balance now. Well, that's true. And that's, that's true and that's the balance. But in, in saying that, um, 
you know, we think our kids are good enough to play. I think we showed that this this season. You got um, great well, young kids. Yeah, there's good there's good young players here. But if you don't give them the chance, then you know they they never get that opportunity. And I think if the club can continue to do that, we're not a we're not a big spending club. You know, we're not going to go get marquees. We're, we're you know my budget doesn't allow me to 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 go and and you know get the best twenty eight Aussie. You know, so we're better off getting the best young players. And the benefit for them is that they actually get to play A-League football, if they're good enough, obviously. And the benefit for us is it, it allows us to, to, to keep our costs down, but also uh, put a competitive team on the pitch. And I don't say we fill our team with young players. We still get some good senior players. You know, we've got James Troisi that complements really well with Riley McGree, for example. You know, and then you've got Louis Dorigo, who can learn off them as well. Um, so I think we've got good balance. Um, would I like to get better players? Of course. Would I like to get better youngsters? Of course. We're always looking to improve. But as a club, in terms of the philosophy of what we're trying to do and, and the way we want to do things, um, you know, an Australian coach fits really well. You don't have to teach them about the culture um, from, from scratch. You know, they've got to learn about the intricacies of the club and all the rest and what it means to be Adelaide United and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, with you've got to start them from scratch. Salary cap, transfer windows, um, that, you know, if, if, if you want to get rid of someone and you want to pay them out, you've got to pay them something. That money goes into the cap, which hinders you in terms of how much you, you have to bring the next person in. You know, it's a league that you've got to coach your way out of trouble. You can't transfer your way out of trouble with, with new players. Um, you know, the, the rate, like, you know, Fox want to do interviews at halftime. You know, we're not the big dog. We're, we're a small fish. You know, we're trying to build the brand. We're trying to build the league. You know, the season launch is the week uh, leading into the first game. You know, there's a lot of education that needs to happen um, with foreign coaches because here it's a different market and, and it operates a bit differently. So getting an Australian coach, one, because they're good enough, I think, uh, two, because I think there's an abundance of good ones out there. So, of course, if we don't find a good Australian coach that fits the mould, we'll go international, 100%. But we always believe, look around us, look within Australia first, same with players, look within Australia first, and that's not fitting uh, uh, into, into what you're trying to achieve, then look overseas. We're not going to start a global search if, if what we're looking for is right under our nose. So that's the approach we're taking. Um, I want to pick up on the point you made earlier about, you know, if you were to play without your shirt off, you'd recognise that, that that is Adelaide United. How, from your perspective as well, as the, the technical director of the club, um, how much of an influence have you sort of been pushing about the coach needs to embody this type of philosophy to play the club? Or is it about finding the right coach and letting them impart their philosophy? Which one are you sort of pursuing? The former. So we've... Uh built of football philosophy, not just how we want to play, because I can guarantee you 99% of coaches that will be interviewed for this role say, yeah, I want to play attacking, exciting football and, you know, want to do this. And Of course, everyone wants to do that. But then it's about, okay, well, you know, we're going to analyse the, the, the videos of, of your team and we're going to see if you know, you, you, you're actually uh, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. 
Um, you know, those sort of things um, will need to happen. But I think, you know, we've got a strong identity. I think this club's had a strong identity for a long time. Um, we've got really parochial and passionate fans. You know, it's a unique club in the sense that, you know, in some of those bigger cities, you know, you, 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 you've got multiple teams, um, you're drowned out by other codes, and, uh, yeah, they've got passionate fans. And, and obviously, Sydney and Melbourne got, got real passionate fans as well. But here it's a bit different. The culture's a bit different. You know, the, the, you've been here, Lucy. The atmosphere's a bit different. There's a lot more scrutiny. You know, you're, you're one team in, in the whole stage. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a real tall poppy syndrome sort of here. You know, there's people always trying to build you up and tear you down. Coaches have had, you, you, you look at the history of Adelaide United coaches. There's been spats with the media. You had Pissant Town, Biddy. You had, you know, Giuseppe gone about the, the, I won't say it, about the goalkeeper of, of journalists, you know, <laughs> because that's the sort of, it's like a fishbowl here, you know, so we, we, we need characters that are willing to, to deal with that, and I don't think that'll be difficult to find, but it's about, you know, being able to manage the, the, the media, that's an aspect to, to it as well, you know, a football coach is, is the club's greatest ambassador. You know, they do press conferences two, three times a week. Um, you know, they're in the media constantly. You know, w when things are going well or when things are going poorly, everyone wants to hear from, from them. They're essentially the CEO of, of the players, you know, the greatest asset the club has. So, um, you know, we need someone who's, who's going to embrace that, you know, as well. Um, so, yeah, look, it's all encompassing. I think, you know, they've got to fit into our philosophy. Obviously, they're going to have some leeway. You know, we're not, we're not dictators here, you know, that, but they're going to have to, you know, carry out what, what they say they're going to carry out. And that's work with young players, have, a, have success on the park first and foremost. Then it comes with working with the young players, you know, having input into the youth team, aligning those two. Um, and, you know, across the club, playing the same style of football. I want to ask how the players are coping at the moment um, because, you know, we've not been privy, particularly us in the media or even the fans, uh, as stakeholders involved, we haven't had much uh, knowledge of what's going on, how they're coping. Uh, you know, we see a couple of Instagram videos of a few of them posting things about them trying to keep fit and stuff. But what sort of dialogue have you had with them, Brucey? How are they all handling this? Because I can't even imagine you being a former player to be in such an uncertain climate right now. I mean, there's already uncertainty around the A-League. So many players coming off contract every year. You know, there's a lot that needs to be fixed with the current model. Um, but to, to put yourself in a position where you're having to apply for job seeker um, and you've got a family to support, it's crazy when you consider all of this, how they've been handling it all. Look, uh, I can sum it up in one word, and that's anxiety. They're anxious because it's a precarious occupation already, you know. And, and you know, myself and Nathan Kuzmina were going out there in February when this stuff was really starting to heat up and, you know, rumours were swirling and now we're going to go to a hub and try to finish the games off really quickly and all, all this sort of stuff was flying around. Um, now, I went up there and, and, you know, I said to him, I said, look, like, as a player, you're always nervous about your next year anyway, especially when you're coming off contract, you know. So my advice to them was, you can see it coming. It's happening in Europe. <laughs> it's going to come here. It's just a matter of time. Um, you know, my advice was, you know, 
count your pennies because you might have to bunker down. I didn't understand. I didn't. I didn't believe at that time that there'd be stand downs without pay. And at the time, the Morrison government hadn't um, given that job keeper a, a policy yet. hasn't That hadn't dropped yet. So we didn't know that was was to happen. But one thing was for sure that you know the greatest economic um, you know event, negative event. Uh, since the Great Depression was about to come and, and, and hit Australia. So, you know, now's the time to be frugal. Now's the time to be careful, um, especially if you're coming off contract, because not only are you without a club for next from, from 31 May, um, you don't know what that next contract's going to look like. The guys who aren't on contract, you also don't know what next year, what those numbers are going to look like, because... AFL and NRL, as I said earlier, had been really proactive and they'd cut their players' salaries uh, uh, really quickly. Um, early on in the piece, um, you know, it'd be a fool to think that, you know, NRL, AFL and all those clubs, all those codes need to take a hit, but, but we get through unscathed. That's not going to happen. So, um, you know, those sort of discussions were had. Then obviously the stand-downs, they were very angry with that. Um, and rightly so. I mean, if I was a player now, I'd be seeding, right? But again, you know, the greatest weight always falls on the ones with the broader shoulders. You know, the, the ones that are paid the most in our code are the players. You know, I know in other codes, you know, the NRL and AFL, there's been a lot of outrage around admin spend and all the rest at head office and, and all that. Um, FFA stood down, I think, 70, 80% of their staff, right? So, you know, we're not a code that has extreme excesses anywhere there might be excess everyone's got excess somewhere um and that, that'll be cut out um on the back of this no doubt but you know the the the, the players are the biggest spend at our club for example right and, and i'd assume that's the biggest spend at all the clubs so you know when you're looking to cut and when you're forced to to you know fisc financially and just fiscally manage uh, the organization and of course, they're going to take a hit. The problem is, is what's that hit going to look like? How long is it going to last? What's it look like on the other side? That's where the anxiety comes. They'll take a hit. I've got no doubt that the players are uh, uh, understanding in the fact, my players I speak about, understanding in the fact that, you know what? There's no fans coming through. You can't sell memberships. You know, Fox hadn't paid the money at the time. All this stuff was going on. We don't know if they're going to pay the next instalment, if they're going to try alter the deal for the next three years. So, yes, with all that uncertainty, we understand that chances are we're not going to get paid as per normal, right? Um, Well, I think we could have done better is with our communication a little bit um, in the process of it all, Um, you know, but we were beholden to, 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 to the owner. You know, he wanted to wait to make sure that all the owners had a consensus. You know, and it wasn't till, till I think Perth went and then everyone started going here, there, everywhere. Then, then it became sort of, you know, I've really got to speak to these players, you know, because they're going to be hearing things in the media and, and that's not appropriate. So since then, we've been, you know, speaking to the players as regularly as possible. There's a lot to get through. You know, there's 20 odd players. In the A-League, there's also uh, 25, 30-odd in, in the youth team. So I've spoken to everyone at least once. I speak to A-League players um, more often than, than the youth players. We had a meeting with the 
with the senior A-League players, probably eight, nine of them, um, um, probably about two, two, three weeks ago. So they could air their views. There was a lot of frustration. There still is a lot of frustration. And I'm someone that's, you know, let's put everything on the table because <laughs> now we've got to come back and play in August, you know, and, and I want you guys to want to play for the club. Um, you know, and we've got the chairman in, got the chair of the, our advisory board in, Ian Smith, and they had their views and they weren't too happy with the process and, then, and you know, they're not too happy with the situation. On the flip side, they also understand that, um, you know, that the club can't afford to pay them at the moment. So it's a difficult situation for the players and I, I assume it'll continue to be difficult until such time that there's a clear pathway out of this. Especially what's your, financially. What's your view on returning to football? So if it is actually going to be August, um, you know, from a player's perspective, uh, getting everybody back into training and getting the match fit ready to compete in what should probably be a condensed season and to play multiple matches day after day. I mean, my mind immediately goes too far out. What's the injury rate going to be out of this? And are the players going to be in a good enough condition to be able to satisfy the demands? Um, what's your views on that, Brucey? Well, then it comes down to professionalism. So we give them uh, an individual program. Um, they're not obliged to do it, but I've always said, it's well within their interests to do it. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, of course you can sit at home and not do anything, but you know, then when you come back and you've got to deal with injuries and lack of fitness and all the rest, you know, you've only got yourself to blame. Um, it's not an easy position. We're not saying it's the right position. And that's why we said from the get-go, oh, it's completely optional, guys. You don't have to do this. But it's well within your interest to do it. Not now interest. It's in your interest to do it. Because guess what? Here, we're in a very uncertain environment. All over the world, it's a very uncertain environment. But I can tell you now, there are areas or countries or continents, Europe, for example, where people are going to do whatever they can to get football back up and running because everyone wants to watch it. It's a religion there. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a footballer now, I want to go to the safe investment. I want to go to Europe, ideally, if I've got the talent. And I believe we've got a few players here who've got the talent to do that. So it's in your interest to do your individual program. So when you do come back, you do well and are fit and don't get injured and all the rest. So then you give yourself an opportunity to go on to bigger and better things, right? So it's in their interest to stay fit. Um, and then uh, leading into, say, August, you know, call it July, then you come back to training in a, in a team sense. Hopefully restrictions are eased and all the rest. Come back to normal team training. You're fit. You've done your program. You're engaged. You're ready to go, you know, and, and, and you're ready to do your best because you know what? You don't want to ever go through this sort of uh, situation again. And there's different levels of uncertainty, you know? It's uncertain in the English Premier League, but I'm pretty sure they can go and sell their rights or create something uh, uh, pretty quickly that's gonna uh, fill those coffers up again uh, uh, quite soon. So if I'm a player, I probably want to go to the English Premier League because that's my safest bet. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's in their interest to stay fit and to, to, to perform at, at the highest possible level in order to go on to bigger and better things. Australia's always been a selling league, always will be. So if I'm a player, 
I want to do well and I want to go overseas. So let's say if they have been doing their individual programs and the return date is sometime in August, is it realistic? I guess that's what I'm getting to. Is it realistic that players will be match ready by that point? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think if, it, well, if they get four to six weeks, ideally six, I'd say, because of the length of this break, they could get six weeks of normal full team sort of pre-season, mini pre-season type training in, they, they, they should be fine if they've been doing all the right things. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you, the, the ones that have been doing the right things and, and haven't will, will be found out pretty quick, I'd say. I want to track back to your journey now and how you came to fulfill the role of TD. Um, I said to you off camera before, I think it's great that you're in this position because you've always had a lot to offer Australian football on the field, now off the field. It's great to see it translating. Um, why TD for you? Why was that something that you wanted to pursue? I always wanted to stay involved in the game. Um, didn't uh, didn't especially have to be in, in a director's sort of role, um, but I wanted to stay in in football. I got other interests, and I always did. You know, I've had I've had you know, a variety of interests even while I was playing. That's why I studied while I played. Um, you know, because you know the world's much greater than uh, uh, football. But ideally, for me, if I could stay in football, um, then I would always jump it and cherish that opportunity. You know, my time on the PFA executive, you see how many players end up accessing the hardship fund. You see how many players struggle after retirement. So from a very early age, I reckon when I was 23, 24, um, I decided, okay, well, don't end up like these guys. Um, you know, I'll, I want to have a smooth transition. I want to transition when I want to transition, you know. Um, and I was lucky enough to do that. Um, and to land this role. Initially, I worked with uh, Fox Sports, obviously, uh, there. Love that because live TV always gives you a bit of a, a bit of a buzz. You know, Adam Peacock, Robbie Slater, Bozza, Tara. It's just awesome working with them and, and a lot of the, the, the producers and, you know, Murray Shaw's and that. You know, it was great. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, but then when this opportunity came up, uh, I, I thought it was too good to, to refuse. There's so few of these roles in Australia. There's so many people, you know, gunning to, to get them um, to be offered the role by our chairman, Pete Vanderpol. Um, you know, it was a very easy decision and impossible to say no. So in saying that, I wanted to, to take on the role and, and, you know, people always talk about, you know, we need football people in, in the game and football people... Look, I, I don't buy into that too much. I do it to a degree. You can't, you can't stack a football organisation with non-football people. But I think in the same, in the same instance, you can't stack a football organisation with football people who don't know too much about the mechanics of finance, budgets, Excel spreadsheets, salary caps, rules, regulations, laws, FIFA. Like, there's so many things that, that, that go into it. So, you know, you need to be book smart to a degree. You need to be street smart to a degree. Stakeholder relationship management is, is so crucial. The sport's so political. Um, and you've got to be a leader. And I believe if, you know, if, <laughs> if everyone likes you, then, then you're probably not doing a great job leading. So, you know, I came into this role knowing that, you know, I might hurt a few feelings or, or, or you, know, uh, you know, people might be unhappy with some of the decisions I make, but decisions need to be made. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you can't please everyone. And that's not leadership.
So I cherish the role. I really enjoy it. It's very dynamic. There's always so much going on, um, especially at a small club like ours. You know, I got the opportunity to work very closely with the CEO. I work very closely with, you know, media and communications, you know, Marius here. It's such a, it's such a big part of the role, how you communicate the message, how you manage the, the, the media aspect of, of when things are going well and also when things are going bad. Um, even more so, you know, dealing with all the different players, all the different agents, all the different coaches. There's, there's just so many um, people who report into you and so many fires to put out. It's, it's really challenging and, and really exciting. So, you know, it's, it's, the role is everything I expected it to be. Um, nothing really surprised me. The, the parents' involvement still in some of their kids uh, uh, still, still surprised me. That's, that's probably the only thing. I, I can't get over that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a fantastic role. And, you know, it's not something that I aim to do straight off, off retiring. Um, but when the opportunity came up, I just took it with both hands. Why does it still surprise you about parents' involvement? I thought we were well accustomed to that now. We know now that every parent well, of a child is, like is a coach, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that stopped. I don't know, maybe because my parents were so uninvolved, but I thought all that stopped when you were like 14. I think it's a bit worse. Oh, I don't know if it's worse here. You know, Adelaide's a bit of a fishbowl, so everyone knows everyone, and someone's auntie knows someone's uncle, and uncle knows well. So that's still a bit of a thing, but you know, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't play in that space. You know, I, I, I try to mediate a few things early on, and I just thought, you know, it's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> the point, the point you made before, and I think it's a really good one because we've we've always advocated for having, and I won't keep you too much longer. We've always advocated for for having more football people, people with skin in the game, involved and in key positions. And I think it's a fair opinion to have, but it goes back to what you're saying. You need to have someone with business acumen as well. But I think from my perspective, one of the biggest things that we fail to do in this country is have the right balance. We've probably had too much business acumen at the, the top echelon of business versus, you know, people with good football knowledge to balancing it out. What's your view on the state of Australian football at the moment? Because there have been so many debates raging on from youth football, from member federations involvement. I mean, I've been having conversations weekly, almost daily with several different people um, who have all got quite expansive views on it all. But where do you sit on it, Brucey? What do we need to tackle first and foremost? <laughs> you know what? Something that's been awesome is seeing the likes of the Dukes and, and you know, some of those legends come out and, and, and air their views. Um, I think that's that's been fantastic. You know, I'm still waiting for Lucas Neal to come out and say something. I think that'd be that'd be really good. But on the other side, I also, I reached out to Lucas actually. Yeah, good. Get him on. <laughs> I did. He he very politely declined, but he's still obviously got you know an eye on what's happening in Australian football, which is really nice to see. But um, yeah, no, he he's definitely still there, and um, I'm ready and waiting if he ever wants to Look. take the opportunity. It'll come out when the time's right, I believe. But look, I think, you know, so there's a balance to this stuff as well, though. So there's no point coming on and just criticising everything. I don't, I don't particularly respect that. And I don't, I don't say that they're doing that, but, but, you know, there's a lot of people who just come and just bash the game, you know. And then 
the following questions always, okay, so you've obviously thought about this a lot, so you've also got a solution for this problem, and uh, 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 they, they don't know. <laughs> it's very easy to throw stones. So, you know, I think it's important to, to know the other side of, as well. You know, I think the big change now, obviously, with, with JJ coming in, James Johnson, um, you know, I've, I've met him a few times, top class, and I think he's been top class uh, uh, throughout. He's been thrown coronavirus and the greatest, you know, financial sort of malaise that, that the sport's ever faced. So he's handling it phenomenally well. Um, but I can say in the same breath, you know, I had a lot of respect for David Gallup as well. You know, I thought David Gallup, um, you know, obviously made some mistakes along the way, but he managed a lot of things that people don't know um, as, as best he could. And, and he, he achieved some fantastic things as well. But the difference and a major difference between the two is everyone wanted Gallup to fail. Everyone's rooting for James Johnson. And to get the game to, to, to come together and, and to be successful, and I think about this the same with, with our head coach appointment, you need someone, and James Johnson's this guy, you need someone that everyone is rooting for. Because when everyone's rooting for your guy, when everyone's rooting for James Johnson to be success, to come in as the, you know, the messiah, for want of a better, better term, then he's got a really legitimate chance of being successful. Because, you know, it's clearer that, you know, the, the, the waters aren't as muddied. Um, you know, he's, he's making very good decisions. You know, uh, so that, that, that helps. But also, the narrative's more positive. You know, there's, there's more hope amongst the football fraternity and, and all the rest. You know, whereas David Gallup, David Gallup could have, could have <laughs> by the end, he literally could have, you know, created a second division, promotion, relegation, you know, had the best youth pathway. People still would have bashed it. <laughs> you know, there was, there was that little goodwill left at, at, at the end for DG. So, you know, I think the game's got a lot of challenges. I've, I've got my own views on member feds. You know, I've, 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 I listen to everything. So I've, I've heard all the discussions around, you know, should we have member feds? Should we just have one body? And so I've got my own views on that. I don't think, you know, this is the forum to air those. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of hurdles. You know, youth development is massive. You know, the governance of the game in terms of its structure, you know, with, 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 do we have member feds? Yes or no. Um, what's the best way to, to rationalise the resources that we have? You know, uh, the, the fees are way too high for kids to play. My son just started playing under sixes. I paid $1,000. Oh, was gobsmacked. Why well, man, you've got three kids. <laughs> but, then, but then on the flip side, but then on the flip side, you also need to understand, and, and obviously, I'm, you know, I, I, I do NPL president roundtables here because I also believe in, in bringing all the stakeholders in. Um, and... They don't make that much money, <laughs> so you know that you know the reporting structures. Do they make their books public? You know, is is there something that needs to change in NPL players' pay? Like, is too much money filtering up to those guys that are part-time amateurs? Like, seriously, <laughs> you know. So there, there, there's a lot of of things that need to be handled, 
James Johnson, from the outside looking in, doing a fantastic job in handling them bit by bit. You know, if you just went head first into everything, you'd end up in a mess. Um, so, you know, I think we're in good hands. And I like the, the majority of, of football followers in the country at the moment are, are rooting for the FFA and CEO uh, of the FFA to, to be successful and, and to find the solutions. And I firmly believe that at the FFA, they've got the capability to, uh, to do that. I wish you did air out your views on member feds. This actually is the forum to do that, you know? Because <laughs> you're right. Um, you know, I, I've heard some crazy stuff about what NPL players are being offered. Here in New South Wales, I've heard some of them are getting 200 grand a season. That is... Hey? Yes, that's crazy wages. That is crazy, crazy wages. And I'm talking ex A League players, you know, that have that have that have probably thought, you know, what I'm, I'm going to retire and I'm I'm going to earn more money playing state league football than I did in my A League career. I mean, that's crazy when you consider that. And also when you're saying that, well, these coaches aren't getting paid that much. Well, then where the bloody hell is this money going? But if you don't well, feel like talking about it, no, I just think I think it comes back to to to, to financial modelling, you know. People say Premier League players get paid too much, but they're such a valuable asset that, you know what, if I pay someone $250,000 a week, I can get it back when I sell them. <laughs> I'm like, that's capitalism. That's how markets work. Efficient markets. Here we're operating in an inefficient market. You know, the economics doesn't work. I don't want to speculate on that, that, that NPL wage that, that you just mentioned, but when you, even if you look at a thousand bucks a week or $800 a week, right, that only stacks up when you're pillaging the, 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 the parents of the juniors. <laughs> that, then that's not the model, buddy. Then <laughs> you know? you've got to find some, everyone should get what their worth is. And, and you know, that's true to, to a degree more or less in, in the world we live in. But, you know, there's clear distortions in, in how funds are allocated in this game. And it's a blight on the game and it's a serious problem because I've got a lot of friends who play AFL. I've got a lot of friends who work at the AFL um, or in AFL clubs. They, they just shake their head when they hear about our, our, our funding model. And look, I've got my own ideas on what could make a better model. The FFA obviously have their own ideas on what would be a, a, a better outcome. So do the member feds and their boards and their CEOs and all the rest. So it's a political, it's a political arena we work in. You've got to bring all the stakeholders on board. You've got to bring them all into a tent and you've got to, you've got to filter out the ones that aren't interested in the good of the game and you keep the ones that are interested in the good of the game and that will bring costs down across the board because they're not interested in making profits or anything else. They're just interested in running a mean, lean and efficient well-operated organisation. I think there's an abundance of people with that motive and, and if you get them together, they'll find a solution. A couple more questions, I'll let you go, I promise, because I can talk to you all day. Um, I, I want to ask you then about the salary cap. Um, from having been a player uh, to now transitioning into your role as TD, uh, there are a lot of hindrances with it. I mean, you spoke about the kind of education that you have to give to foreign coaches about how it works and if you want to make transfers and sell players and all the rest of it, it's really quite challenging to operate within those constraints. But what's your view on it? Because that's another thing that's come up um, as a big talking point. You know, do we raise it? Do we get rid of it entirely? Do we keep it as is? Where do you sit on it? Sally Cap's interesting. Uh, you know, I think the consensus is it doesn't 
work as appropriately as it once did or as it should. I think the expansion of the league has also distorted uh, values of players, you know, just from the simple fact that it's, it's just economics 101. Like, there's a greater demand for players because all of a sudden there's 12 clubs that need 23-odd players instead of eight, which it was at the start, you know. And you, you combine that with the poor development pathways or the lack of development and all the rest, then you don't have enough quality coming from underneath to fill up the well. Um, and what that means is the, the point gets sharper at the top. So if you're, if you're, if you're a good A-League player, not good enough to really make it overseas, but well, in the A-League, you do really well, you can actually ask for whatever you want. Because Adelaide United is going to give it to you. But you know what? Centre-backs, for example. Western United, I came in, we were looking for a centre-back. Western United just picked up five. But Western United didn't exist last year. But now there's a, there's, 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 there's a new player in the market and they've just sucked up five centre-backs. So that means the other 10 players in the market are scrambling for centre-backs. So all of a sudden... A hundred thousand dollar centre back. He's asking for two hundred thousand because they know they're worth, and they're not. Yeah, yeah, they're good. They're not bad. They're not fantastic, but they're not bad. But you know what? There's only one of them. Else you've got to go touch tap in the foreign markets, and that and 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 within the cap, then you've got to make the decision. Well, we really need a centre back, but we really need a striker too. But you know what? The strikers we have actually aren't bad. And we really need the centre back. That's the priority. So all of a sudden the pendulum swings there and you start paying overs. And you know you're paying overs, but you know if you don't pay it, someone else will because the, the, it's so out of equilibrium, the market. So with MacArthur coming in, it's the same. And I think players are in the best position um, because I think, I don't know the, the, the statistic, but I would argue now there's more players being signed up earlier than historically because maybe with eight clubs there's an abundance of players with limited positions now there's an abundance of positions with a limit on the quality of the players you know so the salary cap works in the sense that you know financial management and all the rest and, and yeah that works in, in terms of equalizing well, if Melbourne City want to go spend eight million dollars on their squad they will we won't. <laughs> I'll give you a hot tip right now. <laughs> but um, but look, the salary cap needs to be tweaked. Um, you know, and and I'd only be thinking off the top of my head here about different tweaks you can you can make. But there, there really needs to be a, a a good sort of discussion and model built around how that looks like going forward. Do you scrap the cap completely? I think eventually. But you don't go from cap to no cap. <laughs> it's got to be a stepped approach. And you also got to remember that in Australia, it's an environment where, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, you're Brighton Hove Albion and, you know, you're just going to be a battling club. But, you know, you're so proud of the crest that, you know, you're still going to be sold out every game because, you know, we might beat Man United on the on, de- 
off day or, or whatever, but chances are we, we'll lose, but I'm still gone because I'm back in my club. We don't have that here. You know, look at the Mariners crowds from what they were when they were successful to what they are now. You know, I can tell you now, if, if, if we're not making the finals year in, year out, then our, our crowds here are going to fall off a cliff because people are only here when, when, when essentially we're relatively successful. So if you scrap the cap and make a real distorted, you know, unequal competition, then financially, I think, you know, the smaller clubs will continue to shrink. The bigger clubs will continue to grow. And with the limit of clubs that we have, the league will just die. So there, there needs to be some sort of balance and maybe you can phase out the cap and put in different things that create a more equal uh, playing field because people will keep coming to games as long as their chance, as long as their team has a legitimate chance of being successful. That might be a top four finish. It might be, for the Mariners, with all due respect, they might be making the finals. You know, that will be deemed a success. So you've got to manage expectations of, of your fans, obviously. But it, it, it can't continue in, in, in its current uh, form. I think it needs to evolve with the league and the games and, and, and the teams and the clubs and the owners and, and all the rest. So I think there'll be an evolution in the cap. Um, what that looks like, I'm unsure. Final question, and I've been asking everyone that I speak to this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. You're no different. Uh, the future of Australian football looks like what to Bruce Jitte? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I think it's easy to throw out a cliche like, yeah, it looks really positive. <laughs> yeah, the future looks really bright. Um, so I'll try not to give you that. But, but the future of Australian football, um, in, in reality, looks like a, a, a sport that's got to muddle through some immediate financial issues. And in, in, in the medium term, hopefully wins a Women's World Cup. Uh, um, and, and in the longer term, uh, is a financially sustainable and, you know, uh, God willing, profitable you know, uh, uh, enterprise that develops good young players and sells the best young talent abroad as a national team that is like the one of 2006. And you know, I think participation-wise, we're already there. Um, you know, if we can keep growing that and fix all those medium to top tiers, then yes, then the future is bright. But to get there, there's, there's still a bit of, of pain and suffering ahead, I, I believe. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you are someone that's still involved in the game. Bruce Jitte, you are a class act. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. I wish you and Adelaide United all the very best going forward. I know it's such an uncertain time for everybody, but I think we can all agree, irrespective of our opinions, that we want to see the game and all of the clubs involved thrive. So thank you, mate. You're a legend. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Anytime.